0: i'm early today it is eight fifty one a m pacific daylight time it's the sixteenth day of august twenty twenty three and this is episode seven hundred and seventy four of bitcoin and i, I went ahead and, and bit the bullet and built a telegram group for the bitcoin and podcast uh the uh telegram link will be in the show notes and i'll be uh noting it out on Nostr uh over the next few days um it can be anything you want it to be it depends on what you bring to the table if you if you you know if you want to join it's got you know i spun it up last night and uh, 10 very kind souls already have jumped into it so far and we actually had a pretty good discussion uh yesterday in fact uh, over there in fact i don't even know why i don't have to help my telegram group up oh i know why because i'm trying to conserve resources on my computer while i have oh i don't know what, 25 tabs open on my web browser, which is always bad practice. I've got Obsidian up, and I'm recording. So that sucks down a lot of resources. So let me get over to it. And uh, what, we, what, we, what we were talking about yesterday was, let's see here, um, it's Acerus asked me a question that started a discussion and it was, I don't know, God, like an hour after I opened up this Telegram group, and it had nothing to do at all with Bitcoin, all right? Uh, although it does have something that's, you know, had to do with something that's very near and dear to my heart. It was a question on comfrey. And you know me, I love this plant. And Acerus asked me if comfrey could be used to get rid of or choke out Russian thistle. Um, And, I you know, that the question... Questions like that are always loaded because there's so much that I don't know about what's going on. Like, well, what's the USDA zone? Um, Where, you know, is this like in Montana? Is it in Texas? You know, I, I don't have any idea what, you know, what the temperatures are, how much rain they're getting. And I also don't know anything about the soil because here's the thing about Russian thistle, which is also known as tumbleweed. It's a type of amaranth. And amaranth, that, and this is the this is the thing. I, I this is why it's so important to understand that about you got to know about some, some things about some certain plants. And amaranth is one that tells you a story about the ground that it's growing on. Right? Amaranth loves compaction. It grows almost every single time you have compacted land. You will have some form of amaranth, whether it be a tumbleweed, whether it be pigweed. It doesn't matter, but it's going to be like one of many of the hundreds of different amaranths. And the thing about amaranth is it's it sucks having it. I get it. I mean, the the big showy ones and the ones that are grown for food, the amaranth, for amaranth seed, those are really pretty. They, it has high nutritive value, but stuff like pigweed, tumbleweed it's just a nuisance and you really don't want it except for the fact that it is going to happen every time you have compacted soils and the question becomes why what 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 the hell's going on the seeds of almost every plant on this planet are everywhere on this planet they're in all the soils the soil is a seed bank all that has to happen is a particular trigger needs to occur for that seed to germinate. And one of the triggers for amaranth is high compaction soil, which means low oxygen. And if it ever gets wet, it's going to remain wet for quite a while. And that is a trigger for amaranth. This is the way nature works. Nature was like, okay, the very thing that will fix problem A is given by this plant. And that happens, that problem happens to be the trigger for the seed germination of that plant in this case we're talking about amaranth if you go up and down a road or up over a field this you know in the same spot on your with your truck or tractor eventually you're going to compact that soil and the amaranth seed that has been there for 100 years is going to sprout and what does amaranth have it has this extraordinarily long tap root and it breaks up compacted soil it the, the problem actually is the solution and if you think that way and you have a, and you can lower your time preference where you don't want it out right now and you can work with this thing, it will actually fix the soil to the point that it won't be there any longer because it's broken up all this, in this case, amaranth and compacted soil. The amaranth loves compacted soil. It grows in it. It germinates in it. And then it sends down this massive taproot that does what? Breaks up compacted soil. What does amaranth seed not germinate in? very well, at least uncompacted soil. See how this works. It's like, it's like nature and God has this plan and it's like kind of amazing insofar that it's just that simple, but it really boils down to time preference. If you can't control your time preference on something, then you're always going to have problems with amaranth because you're not going to let the amaranth grow and decompact the soil if you're going to remove so we get into this discussion and and the guy whose property that that Acerus is asking about he gets invited uh, by Acerus and so he jumps in and he starts telling me a little bit more about what's going on it's 25 acres he's got a 5 acre you know part of that 25 acres that's the real problem he doesn't want it to spread well, if you don't want it to spread, you can't compact any of the soil around what's already compacted. And if you don't want to deal with the amaranth this year and next year and probably the year after that, so that it can do its work, then you're going to need to do the work for it. So, in a situation like this, I recommended the yeoman's plow or uh, what's also known as a subsoiler, which is a hook that goes six to anywhere between six, twelve, and eighteen inches in the ground, depending on how where your compaction zone is. And it just, just think of throwing, of just sticking a like a, I don't know, a a big steel pole into the ground. And that, at the end of that pole underground is a hook that drives, that goes, that bends into a direction. That direction is the forward motion of the tractor that's pulling it, right? So you, you, you get this stuff in the ground and it will dig in as you, like when you put the hooks on top of the soil and you start digging in and you put some weight on that the, the uh, trailer that's got these hooks on it, it'll dig itself into the ground and it will get to its level. And it will uncompact the soil by basically exploding the soil underneath the ground. All, all you will see on top of the ground is like a two inch wide gap. It doesn't turn over the soil and that's important. You don't want to turn over the soil. You do want to decompact it, but you don't want to expose it to oxygen because that does all kinds of other, that has some, some serious problems. So he can go through and he can subsoil this a couple of times. But still, if you can't afford the fuel, you can't rent the tractor, you don't have a tractor and can't afford to rent one. You don't have a subsoiler and your neighbors don't have one and you can't afford to rent one. Then the amaranth that is sitting there, that will do the job for you but you'll have to lower your time preference. So that's the way it works. And that's what we're talking about in the Telegram group that I built yesterday for the Bitcoin and podcast. And that's what exactly what it's for is for stuff like that to go in. So if you got like, you know, questions like that, if we can get a lot of people in there and they're like a knowledge base uh, forms up, I think that that would be awesome. I really do. I think that that would be cool. It's not. But in either event, I want to thank uh, TJ Hambright and Aceris for joining in. Uh, that discussion. And there's, like I said, right now we've got 10 people in there. So give the link a shot and uh, talk to me over there in Telegram. Now, Bitcoin friendly El Salvador sees bond returns soar over 70% in 2023. I got to turn that timer off. <laughs> uh, Prashant Jha is going to tell us all about uh, Bukele being able to thumb his nose at the IMF. And this one from Cointelegraph. El Salvador, which adopted Bitcoin as legal tender in 2021, has seen its dollar bond outperform the majority of the emerging markets with a 70, 70% return in 2023. The massive rally of the bond has now drawn interest from several institutional giants, including JP Morgan, Eaton Vance, and PGIM Fixed, prompting President Nayib Bukele to say, I told you so. Apart from the institutional giants, the likes of Lord Abbott & Company, LLC, Nuremberger Berman Group, LLC, and USB Group AG have also added debt security since April reported Bloomberg. Paolo Arduino, chief technology officer at Bitfinex, told Cointelegraph that the performance of El Salvador bonds is a clear signal that investors are supportive of the financial policies of the El Salvador government and demonstrates the renewed interest in investing in the El Salvador story while adding, quote, As the first company to receive a digital asset license, we are seeing significant interest in digital asset issuance and renewable energy investments, which the country has in abundance and is being used for Bitcoin mining and to provide more energy for the country's electrical grid. The growing demand for El Salvador's debt security in 2023 is quite a contrast to its performance just a couple of years ago when it first adopted Bitcoin as a legal tender. The BTC adoption created uncertainty among investors who bet against the country's bonds with several financial agencies casting a shadow of a doubt on the country's financial future. In February of 2022, the American credit rating agency Fitch lowered the country's long-term issuer default rating from B- to C, citing policy uncertainty in the Bitcoin adoption along with an $800 million debt payment due January 2023. El Salvador paid the $800 million debt in full, full, $800 million of debt in full within the due maturing time at the start of this year, raising confidence in the country's bonds once again. President Nayib Bukele at the time noted that they have proven every finance pundit wrong who doubted whether they would be able to pay their debts in time after Bitcoin adoption. This rise in the confidence of investors is visible from the bond's performance throughout the year of 2023. During the same time frame, El Salvador also passed a landmark crypto bill paving the way for a Bitcoin-backed volcano bond. Bond, El Salvador and its president have been at the receiving end of criticism ever since they first adopted Bitcoin back in September of 2021 as legal tender along with the United States dollar. Financial pundits predicted that the BTC adoption will further strain El Salvador's financial conditions. However, within two years, that debt security of the state has become a hot cake among institutional giants, the same that once advised against its buying. Isn't that amazing? This is what I love. I love it when I find El Salvador news. And we don't have enough of it. We don't, we don't have enough African news. We don't have enough Latin American news. And that's, you know, really all the actions moving, you know, into, to the continent of Africa and it's, what, 70 countries and then all of Latin America. It, the, the motion is strong down there. Up here, we're just, I don't know, man. It's like we're just walking around in a daze, bored to tears. The Bitcoin markets are just bleh. Everything is like bled. Nobody knows what the hell the legacy markets are doing. We don't know what the hell Gensler's thinking about. It's just... All the real action is happening, in, you know, south of the equator. And you don't even have to go that far down south of the equator. You just, I mean, just the whole continent of Africa and Latin America, man, those guys, that's where the fun seems to be. And God, I wish I could get down to Costa Rica and, and go hang out in Central America for a while. That just seems like a lot of fun. These guys, however, are not a lot of fun. Uh, yesterday, I saw quite a few... I don't know, what are the what, uh, references to the fact that the SEC has delayed all eight uh, ETFs? Just delayed them, out of hand. Like, and I was looking for an announcement. I was looking for anything that I could find of the SEC saying, as of today, uh, August the 15th, 2023, We are going to delay all the bonds. I can't find anything on their website. I can't find a single news story except one that speculates that it's going to push the price of Bitcoin down to $20,000. And it has literally no references to exactly what Gensler and the SEC said to make everybody think that all eight ETF applications have been delayed. I don't know what the hell's going on, and I'm hoping that Turner Wright from Cointelegraph will be able to help me out with this one. SEC delays set deadlines for Bitcoin ETF approval to early 2024. With a maximum 240-day window available to the SEC to delay crypto ETF applications, some firms could wait until March 2024 to hear decisions on the filings. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission may be moving closer to giving the investment vehicle the green light after several years of applications. I'm pausing to to vent my frustration at this writing. I'm still confused. Are we closer or is there a delay? Can somebody please tell me what the hell is going on in June? The world's largest asset management firm, BlackRock, added its application to the bundle of Bitcoin filings currently being reviewed by the SEC creating renewed interest among investors in and out of the crypto space. The company later added a surveillance sharing agreement with cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase following reports that the SEC could be more open to accepting an ETF application under such conditions. BlackRock is one of the many firms with crypto ETF applications in the SEC pipeline. ARK Invest, under CEO Kathy Wood, filed its list for ARK 21 share spot Bitcoin ETF in May and received the most recent delay from the SEC on August the 11th, pushing back the deadline another 21 days as the regulator opens the proposal to public comments. Okay, that one I did tell you about. That one is an actual announced delay. Let's see what else is going on. Under SEC guidelines, the federal regulator has the authority to delay ETF applications for up to 240 days by opening them to public comments or otherwise from the first filing in the federal register. So even so, the SEC has never approved a spot Bitcoin ETF proposal from any firm in the United States and only started accepting investment vehicles tied to BTC futures in October of 2021. One of the challenges behind getting the SEC to allow a spot crypto ETF may be the nature of the investment vehicle. Bitcoin futures linked ETFs also enable individuals and companies to invest in the crypto asset without an exchange while a spot BTC ETF could involve holding bitcoin within a fund for a more direct investment. Gemini co-founders Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss were the first to apply for a crypto exchange traded product listing using their bitcoin trust in July of 2013, guys. The first one was 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 the the, the Winklevi back in 2013 when many regulators might not have even understood digital currencies and the SEC ultimately rejected that application. Stuart Barton, co-founder and chief investment officer of Volatility Shares, the firm behind the listing of a leveraged Bitcoin futures ETF in June, told Cointelegraph its process for applying with the SEC involved back-and-forth negotiations. The regulator proposed changes to disclosure documents, but was generally cooperative. He speculated that smaller firms might have more of an edge with the SEC on a spot crypto ETF offering. Quote, big companies have been doing the same thing they've been doing for years, said Barton. Yeah, there's new applications, new filings. They haven't really moved the argument along, end quote. At the time of publication. Major asset investment firms with spot Bitcoin ETF applications under review by the SEC include BlackRock, ARK Invest, Bitwise Asset Management, VanEck, WisdomTree, Invesco, and Galaxy Digital, Fidelity, and Valkyrie. With the maximum 240-day extension window available to the SEC, the final deadline for ARK's Bitcoin ETF is now January of 2024, while approval or disapproval of all the other firms' offerings could come as as late as March 2024. Part of the SEC's seeming reluctance to sign off on a spot crypto ETF could be from the nature of the crypto market in the United States, which, while regulated, has left many lawmakers and industry leaders calling for greater clarity and oversight. The SEC is currently pursuing enforcement cases against Coinbase, Binance, and Ripple, and it has already leveled financial penalties against firms such as Bittrex, uh, or such as Bitrix, Barton added, quote, both sides are going to bend a little. I think the SEC are going to have to be a little bit more open minded. There's going to be a lot more bending, I think, from the crypto side, end quote. U.S. lawmakers are currently considering legislation to better define the roles the SEC and Commodity Futures Trading Commission should have in regulating digital assets. In addition, both the regulator and industry may have to consider court decisions until regulations are better defined. As a judge in the SEC versus Ripple case largely ruled that XRP was not a security, creating ramifications for everyone dealing with crypto in the United States. <coughs> Quote, The ETF application process puts the SEC in an incredibly powerful position. Gensler has a great amount of amount of sway in that. The political makeup of the commission definitely influences that, said Barton. As of August, certain analysts have suggested that the chances of a spot Bitcoin ETF being approved in the U.S. are close to 65%, based partly on BlackRock's application. Both Kathy Wood and Grayscale have hinted that the regulator could approve multiple applications simultaneously to avoid any company having an advantage over the other. Nowhere in this does it tell me that there was a, a, an actual announcement from the SEC yesterday or the day before that told me anything different than what I already knew, that there is a 240-day maximum wait period for any ETF application. It was never different. It was never different. It was always going to be 240 or 260 days, whatever it is. It was, it, was, it was always presented that way. And somehow yesterday, a whole bunch of assholes started coming out of the woodwork saying, they've all been delayed. The SEC has crushed it. Bitcoin is now going to 20,000. I think it's all fun. I think it was somebody who or a group of people, not just one person. I think it was a group of people that got on the phone together and said, hey, we got to keep the price of Bitcoin down. What are we going to do? And somebody came up with this bright idea. Oh, I know. How about we write a whole bunch of stories and put them in Cointelegraph and, and Coindask and whatever other crypto mag that you can find and we'll suggest that something has changed. Because it could possibly be as little as 160 days, but a maximum of uh, 260. Dude, that was always on the table. And now that I've seen, I have seen like four different people and 12 different, you know, uh, headlines suggesting that the SEC did something. They have done fucking nothing. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to clean that, clean that up for you guys. But I, it just, it's really making me angry because it's just FUD. So... Anytime that for the next couple of days as this fud fud cycle continues its way through to prop or propagates through everybody's head if you are listening to this, you need to go and start asking questions of the people that bring that foot to the table and say, show me the announcement from the SEC that says something is different today than it was from the day that BlackRock first filed their Bitcoin spot ETF. Show me the announcement that said that they're going to delay it because they'll, they will not be able to find you an actual SEC announcement. Nothing has changed. If I am patently wrong about this, then make sure you let me know. Give me the SEC announcement. I don't want it. I don't want some report. I want the SEC announcement saying, August 15th, SEC, report desk. We are, we've done something different today about these ETFs than we, than we thought we were going to be doing the day before. If I don't see that, then this is FUD. And nobody, nobody, nobody should buy into this crap. All right. Uh, Hodel Cuban. Um, your fellow nostriches on Nostr are great resources to keep abreast of what's going on. And Hoddle Cuban no different. He has a full screenshot of something called was it 1btc.chat. Don't go there. Why? Check this shit out. this is what okay, this is what is on the screenshot that Hoddle Cuban provided me. It is a screenshot from one btcchat and the headline on the, on the screenshot says, or the one with the largest font says verify you are a full coiner to join the one BTC community. Step one, connect wallet. Step two, designate BTC. Step three, sign message. Step four, send dust. And there's a little button down here that says connect wallet help. They'll they'll help you. They'll give you an easy button. That's the thing about scams. Generally speaking, scams have the best user experience ever, except for the last step where you lose all your money. And in this case, I think it's more about them, somebody somewhere trying to figure out how they can get a lot of intelligence on wallet addresses that have more than one BTC, right? They're couching this as like, oh, you can be part of this exclusive club and you've got to prove that you've got more than one BTC. All you did was dox your wallet address that's holding one BTC or more. Don't, don't, don't do that. Anytime that you see anything out of one BTC chat or dot chat or or the number one and then the letters BTC and then dot chat, if you see any messages, on any social media platform or anywhere that you're at, you need to immediately warn everybody away from that. All right, so do your part and keep your fellow brethren safe and secure out there. The very last vestiges of Silvergate in the news. Yeah, we're on the, thank God, we're on the downslope of this entire thing, but this is how a bank that really didn't need to die This is what it looks like when it dies. Decrypt. Andre Bogansky, Silvergate CEO, departs with benefits as the bank shutdown continues. Silvergate CEO Alan Lane and Chief Legal Officer John Bonino left the company on Tuesday as the firm, once known for its crypto-friendly bank, continues to wind down operations. (coughs) Their departures from the California-based company, which entered into voluntary liquidation in March, are effective immediately and represent the latest phase of the shutdown process, according to a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The notice also states that Silvergate's chief financial officer, Antonio Martino, will depart on September 30th, while the three executives won't be entitled to further compensation once they're gone They will receive certain severance benefits. The top-level departures at Silvergate come after the firm's headcount was slimmed down to a skeleton crew in May, where 230 of the firm's workers were shown the door. Silvergate Bank once catered to some of crypto's largest players, including Coinbase and Gemini, but its wind-down has been the firm's preeminent priority for months. The principal executive officer left at Silvergate will be Kathleen Frayer who was listed as Silvergate's chief transition officer in the filing. Her LinkedIn profile shows she has served as the bank's chief risk officer for 17 years. 17 years, people. Silvergate did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Silvergate's move to shutter in March was followed by the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, also viewed as crypto-friendly banks. Silvergate's instant settlement platform was a staple of its business and was used heavily by institutional crypto clients that conducted around-the-clock transfers. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation highlighted the risk of serving multiple crypto clients at once in a report on Monday saying that the practice can introduce liquidity risks. Silvergate's troubles became apparent when it divulged that users yanked $8.1 billion in crypto deposits in the final fiscal quarter of last year. It was the same period that the cryptocurrency exchange FTX went under and rattled the market for digital assets. To weather a flurry of withdrawals, the company tapped the Federal Home Loan Bank for a $4.3 billion loan and sold around $5.2 billion in debt securities. It was the former action that drew the ire of several U.S. senators. Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, was among. monk a bipartisan group of lawmakers that called out Lane in a letter. They scrutinized the bank's link to FTX and accused his company of further introducing crypto market risk into the traditional banking system. Yeah, Silvergate, though, honestly, honestly, if, I'm re- if I remember right, Silvergate was actually not in all that all that much of a of a risky situation. And they were forced into this. They could have in other words, they could have kind of weathered this had it not been for certain actors at the government level saying, no, you're going to close down, and then they just gave it to the FDIC or something like that. I can't remember exactly how that went. But (coughs) the whole point is that was their their demise is an overreaction. So, but it's still going on. The the demise of Silvergate is almost at an end. Right, 17 years that this this woman, I don't even know how long Silvergate has been around, but this one woman been there for damn near two decades. And poof. It's just gone. And I don't really think it was any true fault of their own. I don't think they should have tapped the federal home loan thing, but if it was available to them, then they were going to tap it. The real problem wasn't really about crypto. The real problem ended up being that, yeah, the the crypto thing and FTX and BlockFi and all that, of course, people are going to run to the exits. That wasn't the real problem. If everybody's running over a bridge to escape, I don't know, fires on a certain island, and that bridge collapses, it's not because people were running to the exits. It was because of the underlying structure girding the bridge fell apart under the weight of all those people running to the exits. What do I mean by that? I mean U.S. Treasuries. Silvergate had a lot of them. And as Jerome Powell kept raising interest rates the value of those bonds kept declining and they were doing it at the exact same time that everything in FTX and Alameda and BlockFi and all the rest of the idiots in the space were on fire. And that fire caused a bunch of people to go run across the bridge. And that bridge was losing its structural integrity day after day by people like Jerome Powell pummeling that bank's ability to be liquid. Because the bonds, the face value of the bonds that they bought at like i don't know let's say they bought a hundred million or uh, like let's say they held ten billion dollars in bonds, and then Jerome Powell gets you know down from the podium and all of a sudden they're worth eight point seven billion dollars at the same time that everybody's rushing for the exit. Then he gets back up on the podium a month later and says we're going to weaken them again, and he raised interest rates again, which further devalued the bonds underlying Silvergate and all the rest of the banks. It wasn't just Silvergate. And it wasn't just crypto, it was all the banks. They all felt that pain. It just so happened that the forest fire that everybody was scared and running away from was in the crypto field at that moment. One of these days, it's going to be residential real estate again. I don't know when because it's the, the damn market is so weird and sticky, but eventually that's going to go and catch on fire too. And if we're at a high interest rate and they continuously raise interest rates during that time, then banks that hold a bunch of U.S. treasuries to undergird all the shit that they do, they're going to have the same problem Silvergate did. And it's going to have nothing to do with crypto. So, you know, if we can understand how this whole system really works, it would be beneficial, but almost nobody is going to spend the time trying to figure out the vagaries of the legacy financial markets. I never thought I would. I never in a million years thought I would give two craps about digging into why the hell the face value of a treasury bill goes down when the interest rate goes up. It's Now it's simple to me, and I feel like an idiot that I didn't understand it before, but it was always designed to bore you to tears, so that you would be distracted by something else so that you wouldn't see what they were doing anyway let's see what the rest of them are doing while we run the numbers I got West Texas Intermediate down almost a full half point to eighty dollars and sixty five cents. Brent North Sea down a quarter, eighty-four dollars and sixty-seven cents. Natural gas down two point six to two point five. Well two dollars and fifty-eight cents, sorry. And gasoline is the only thing that's actually up point seven three percent to two dollars and eighty six cents a gallon. Shiny metal rocks having a bad day as well. Gold down a fifth of a point, silver down point three, platinum is the only only winner today, 0.17% of to the upside. Copper is down 0.14. Palladium down 1.58. Ag, eh, mixed. Biggest winner today is lumber at up over just, just over two full points. The biggest loser today is going to be cotton down 0.62%. Live cattle down a quarter. Lean hogs down 0.13. And feeder cattle down a quarter. The legacy market's not doing well either. I mean it's not terrible, but they're not. They're all in the red. Dow is down point zero six percent. S and P down a quarter. Nasdaq down a half, and the S and P mini is down a third. And something's going on because Bitcoin is well was. Let's make sure about this. Okay, well I got bitinfocharts.com dot com chilling out at twenty nine thousand one hundred forty four bucks, but I also saw another price that it's dipped below twenty nine thousand, probably because of that FUD piece that's going around with the. Uh, Oh, they delayed everything. Oh, they didn't. Whatever. Uh, Average transaction value is half a Bitcoin. Median transaction value is $0.09. And block times are low, 9 minutes and 14 seconds, with 0.11 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, and 18.5 taken overall uh, in the last 24 hours. Let's see what's going on with Dashboard. Sorry, guys. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's like dust just blew all over me or something. I I was coughing. Uh, $563.5 billion is the market cap at present. That is 4.41% of gold's market cap. We have 19,458,980.5 Bitcoins in circulation, and 4,666.8 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $135.2 million. 16,304 nodes that we can see, 68,593 payment channels that we know about, and 73.6% of all of it's being run over Tor. Mempool.space, painting the eh, same, same picture as yesterday, We've got about 135 blocks carrying 384,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at high-priority transaction rates of 11 satoshis per V-byte, and you'll get one in low-priority, 8 satoshis per V-byte. Mempools around the world are purging everything under 3.62 satoshis per V-byte. I am now number five in the top ten, so all those boosts really kicked my ass to get back into the top ten. I appreciate you, BTC Brandon Shy. Is that it? Is that it? You'll understand here in a second. 2,000 Satoshis laughing even harder this time. For that, 2,000 sats this time. C-H-I is pronounced Shy, as in the nickname for Chicago. Shy Town. Really? Is it? Shy, thought it was Chai Town, but you know, okay, whatever. BTC Brandon Shy, hope we have that cleared up now. Love you, brother. No, we probably don't have that cleared up now. <laughs> Dubrovko 1000, apologies, I missed my boost yesterday. No, man, that's okay, dude. Dubrovko with another thousand says, I thought, I, I thought SBF had the campaign finance charges dropped, as that was a requirement to have him extradited. Someone please correct me. Dubrovko answers his own question Or or asks another question He says a real part of the onboarding process For the OPA is the money it takes to get on I still see shams But it is way less (coughs) Okay not another question But whatever MCOT 288 Satoshi says Cheers no cheers bro Pies with 100 says thank you sir No thank you and that's going to do it for the weather report Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin vapid gold weakens as Russian ruble and Argentinian peso crash. This is out of Coindesk, Omkar Godbull writing. Perceived safe havens like Bitcoin and gold struggle to gather upside traction, even as signs of cracks in the global market begin to appear in the form of volatility in the fiat currencies of distressed nations. On Monday, the Russian ruble depreciated to 102 for a U.S. dollar reaching the lowest since March of 2022. The slide took the cumulative year-to-date loss to 33%, highlighting investors growing angst about Kremlin's dwindling energy revenues and forcing the central bank to hike rates to 12% from 8.5% in an emergency move. Meanwhile, Argentina devalued its already weak peso by 18%, sending it lower to 350 per dollar compared to 287 per dollar last Friday. The peso is down 98% this year. The fresh slide in the ruble and the peso represents early signs of stress in global financial markets according to MUFG Bank. <laughs> it just sounds it just it sounds uh, sounds nasty. Uh, since the Federal Reserve began raising interest rates in March of last year, many have been biased towards perceived haven assets on fears that the so-called tightening cycle will break something in the global markets. <laughs> "Quote: It's not that either the ruble or the peso depreciation will have direct reverberations for the broader markets. They won't. But, but, but the developments do highlight The draw of the U.S. dollar as yields continue to move higher. Weak links are nearly always the first to reveal cracks, and certainly the ruble and the peso are weak links. Derek Hellpenny, head of research uh, of global markets, EMEA and international security, said no. So far, the supposed signs of cracks have brought little safe haven demand for Bitcoin, disappointing expectations. The leading cryptocurrency by market value, widely considered digital gold due to its finite supply, remains listless above 29000 Yeah, no shit, dude. Perhaps the ongoing hardening of the nominal and inflation-adjusted U.S. government bond yields, one of the key factors responsible for this latest slide in the ruble and the peso, and the uptick in the dollar index is keeping Bitcoin and gold from rallying. The real or inflation-adjusted yield on the U.S. 10-year note has increased 1.83%, the highest since 2009, denting the appeal of investing in zero-yielding assets like gold and Bitcoin. The nominal 10-year yield has established a firm foothold above 4%. Per Halpenny, further rise in yields could affect broader markets. Quote, if U.S. yields continue to drift higher from here, we are likely to see further cracks appear that could have greater implications for broader markets. No, really? I would never have guessed that rising interest rates could probably cause problems like, you know, everywhere. But thankfully, this... This Halpenny guy is here to to set us all straight, right? Um now in a really grisly story. Um uh, missing US crypto king has been found. He's been found chopped up and stuffed down a toilet by a horrified plumber. Uh, okay, this is out of the mirror Uh this is why you should never ever reveal honestly, don't wear swag, Bitcoin swag. Um, it's okay. I mean, go to Bitcoin conferences, but you know, don't walk around, tell people that you've got Bitcoin outside of the conference. You know, don't, don't go to bars, you know, with a big old Bitcoin on the back of it, because that's just a target like this poor guy. Let's just get into it, man. This is bad. Vassia Barba is riding it. <clears throat> The remains of an American crypto-mogul have been found chopped up and stuffed down a toilet. Body parts of Christian Peeve, 41, who had both U.S. and Bulgarian citizenships, were found by plumbers in a sewer when they were called to clear a block drain on Saturday in Sofia, Bulgaria's capital. Investigators believe that the alleged killer, identified as Vesko Volchinov chopped up his victim's body and flushed some of the parts down the toilet. Some of the parts that couldn't be flushed away, including the victim's head and some of his bones, were buried. Christian Peeve had graduated from a university in the U.S. and built a fortune off of crypto investments. He was a regular visitor to high society parties and events before he was murdered, and it was believed that is where he met his alleged killer who was working as a bartender. (coughs) Mr. P, reportedly murdered was reportedly murdered between August the 8th and 9th. Local media, report, local media reports that the alleged murderer killed his victim with a dumbbell and then cut up the body in the bathroom of his apartment before flushing the pieces down the toilet. Some of this just doesn't make any sense. Prosecutors and the Ministry of the Interior held a joint press conference saying that Christian's cousin filed a report on August the 10th saying that he had gone missing two days before the investigators reached the scene of the crime. After checking the two phones of the missing person, they said, quote, all contacts he had on that day. Wait, hold on. All contacts he had on the day he was last seen were checked. One of them was one of his friends, Vesco Valchinov. A camera was seized from the block where the suspect lives, and it was established that he and Christian entered the entrance in the late afternoon of August the 8th. The next day, the suspect killer went out alone. He came home and went out again several times. <laughs> can imagine what he's doing. But Christian was not seen. Another man named Konstantin Subitov, uh, no pr- way I can pronounce it, allegedly helped the killer hide the dismembered corpse of the victim. When he was detained he admitted that he had helped the killer to hide the parts of the victim's body by taking some of them with his car to Vitosha and burying them there. He buried the head and skeleton, but the more easy god, but the more easy to flush away fresh from the body was put in the toilet. Okay, what a, I, that's just a bad sentence. Valnachov was arrested after fleeing a hotel in Vitosha, but his location was tracked on his phone and he was arrested on Sunday. Christian Peeve had Bulgarian and American citizenships. He graduated in the U S had a lot of money and regularly took his friends out to bars. And that's how he met his killer. According to local media, Mr. Peeve even helped Valnichov do business with cryptocurrency so that the investigators suspect that the motive of the murder is related to money and police are not ruling out the idea that the former bartender was jealous of his friend. The investigation is ongoing. And this is a, the, the, looking at the picture of the guy right now, total crypto bro, total Instagram looking guy. I mean, dude, dude's got away. I don't know. The dude's got away two hundred. I mean, is like just built like a brick shit house. Apparently, I mean, I, I'm guessing he just lifted a lot of weights. Nobody think about this. I know what I'll do. I'll kill this guy, and I'll never get caught because I'm going to flush him down the toilet. Nobody, nobody is that dumb. Nobody's that dumb, right? <clears throat> Does, do you see what I'm getting? It's like taking all the time to flush a guy down the toilet. You know what I mean? how long you've got to sit there and cut a, on a human body? That, if, and it, clearly that's what occurred. So we're talking about a dyed-in-the-wool monster. Could you imagine, like, this is your friend? And this is the way that he, he murders you with by whacking you on the head with a dumbbell and then flushing you down the toilet. It's just stupid because they had to take a lot of the dismembered... They had to cut... They were cutting the flesh away from the bones, apparently, flushing that down the toilet and then taking the large bones and then having to bury them. Why didn't you just dismember the body and take the whole thing away with you and bury that? This is very weird. It's very weird. It's almost as if the guy had a like just hated this dude. Didn't just want to kill him, didn't just want to get away with it, but had something evil and black and really hated this poor Instagram looking guy. I mean my heart goes out to him and his family. I mean 41 is way too young to lose your life, but it brings home an important lesson. Yes, I have Bitcoin. I hold Bitcoin. I don't talk about how much Bitcoin I have for a very good reason. First of all, it ain't nobody's business but my own. And second of all, it just invites problems. I don't have a single piece of Bitcoin swag. The only thing that I have is a painting that I have behind me from a contest that I won like three years ago from Fold, right? That's it. I don't take it out of the house with me. I don't, you know, glue it to the back of my car so that everybody knows that I'm a fold customer. I don't wear t-shirts. I don't wear hats. I don't do that because it's a target. And I see so many people making that mistake. Dude, you go out in public with a great big orange Bitcoin on your back at this time. Nobody gives a shit if you like the US dollar. But they do give a shit if you have Bitcoin or if you're interested in Bitcoin because you may have some. And they may want to take it away from you. So please, 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 whenever you're going to buy a Bitcoin t-shirt or some swag, either reconsider the purchase or buy it to support the people selling it. But don't wear it out in public. If you're going to a a Bitcoin conference and you want to wear it there, then wear another t-shirt on the way and then go to the bathroom, change the damn shirt. Wear a throwaway shirt. I don't know, but don't walk around downtown Nashville next year or last year if you were walking around downtown Miami with a great big orange Bitcoin on your shirt. People were going, I wonder how much he has and I wonder if I can get it from him. Just just assume that, okay? Please, please just assume that. Blockstream, we got a couple of pieces out of Blockstream here. <clears throat> on a note that they posted on Noster six years ago, we launched the Blockstream satellite project because we believe that anyone anywhere should be able to access Bitcoin. This one-of-a-kind Bitcoin infrastructure includes four geosynchronous satellites and a REST API that broadcasts the Bitcoin time chain 24-7 for free, provides a lightning-enabled communications platform, and allows developers to create apps that broadcast messages globally. Bookmark this note to celebrate the blocksat and learn how to integrate this next level bitcoin technology into your stack. So if you did not know, that was one of the things that we were all up, you know, rah raw raw, you know, 6 years ago when we heard about this. Some people assume that Blockstream launched the satellites themselves and they own the satellite, and that's not that's not how that works. Okay? They bought and and well, they continue to rent transmitter time on satellites that are already up there the blockstream satellite isn't owned by blockstream blockstream rents the capacity throughput and data throughput on that satellite or the these four satellites but nonetheless it's still pretty slick dude we haven't really heard about it in a long time have we we haven't heard about the people setting up the Blockstream you know, an antenna and actually showing you that they can transmit messages around the world with this thing. And it wasn't just messages. It wasn't also being able to, to just be able to attach to, like, you know, use it uh, for, to download the Bitcoin uh, data to, so that you can spin up your own node. That was a lot of the stuff that we were talking about because it does that. You, yes, out in sub-Saharan Africa, in the middle of freaking nowhere, right next door to Timbuktu, you too can get into like, I don't know, have a, a a solar generator and then you can spin up a node without any internet connection whatsoever and you can send and receive Bitcoin addresses, act as a full node, do all that and not have any internet because of the Blockstream satellites. We don't talk enough about that. But the other thing that it was doing and still does is allow people in countries that have no internet access at all to also get news. People, there was a guy that was broadcasting news, and I can't remember. There was a country that they turned off all the internet. It was going undergoing, you know, some kind of internal strife. Nobody knew what the hell was going on, and this guy was broadcasting on the Blockstream satellite news about the country, so that people inside the country could get that get that stuff. But they could only get it if they had a Blockstream. Uplink. So, chances that many people had that not not really, but the fact that it could be done is important. Now, staying with Blockstream, Liquid Federation open sourced its functionary code. This is out of nobsbitcoin.com. The feder or the Liquid Federation fulfills a long standing goal to open source the functionary code, allowing anyone to audit the code and create their own Liquid-like network. Quote as of today. The Liquid Network's Functionary source code is free and open source to the public. The release allows anyone to audit the code that runs the functionaries and to create their own Liquid-like network with similar features such as confidential transactions and asset issuance. More specifically, with the Functionary code, independent parties and users can now review how unsigned Liquid blocks are produced, Liquid blocks are distributed and signed, uh, DynaFed transactions, which update the set of functionaries who operate the network, are coordinated. Network parameters are added to the block headers to update consensus rules. UTXOs are swept back to the Federation addresses when they are close to expiry. Pegouts are analyzed and delivers, uh, delivered. Quote, This fulfills a long standing goal to release the code after the Dynamics Federation update. DynaFed enabled the dynamic addition and removal of functionaries from Liquid allowing the number of functionaries to be changed more elegantly and securely without needing to fork. If one functionary is unavailable, the network remains unaffected by seamlessly substituting one functionary for another to sign blocks. Liquid has taken significant steps toward transparency and resilience by open sourcing its Watchmen and block signer code and activating DynaFed. While Elements has always been free and open source, releasing the functionary code represents an important milestone for Liquid and for Elements development. We invite the community for feedback at our Telegram channel or on the Liquid build on L2 community, and they give links to both of those. So it looks now like the entirety of Liquid is free and open source software now with the addition of the Liquid Federation being open source. So If you want to go check that out, go check that out. But the most important part about that is everything now from Liquid is open source. So if you want to build your own blockchain on Liquid, you can do it. I don't recommend it. We have Bitcoin. But Blockstream's been a good player in the space, right? They get a lot of shit all the time. I don't think that they're bad actors I like Adam back. He's the guy that started the whole thing. They provide the satellite service. They provide a lot of things. They provide a very good wallet too, from what I understand. But they're, they catch a lot of crap. I don't think that they deserve it. They catch a lot of crap because Liquid is just another shit coin. I know, I get it. But if you really go through and look what they were saying that they were trying to do, you start realizing it's kind of not. But I don't have to use it. And neither do you. There are a couple of use cases for it that other people like that's the only thing that they can do, but you and I, yeah, we don't really have to use it. Stacker.news, which a lot of us do use, has added anonymous accounts, just-in-time funding. Yay, users no longer need a dedicated account in order to zap or post and comment on Stacker.news. And this is no BS. Uh, NoBSBitcoin.com. It's all a bit rough, but we'll be working to refine it over the next week or so. Stacker.News has also announced a 250,000 Satoshi bounty for custom data selectors. What's new? You no longer need an account to participate on stack, uh, sorry on Stacker.news. I'm just, allergies are getting bad over here, guys. Sorry about that. Yes. Lurkers, you too can chime in and zap at random via Bolt 11 invoices. Posts and comments without an account will appear as the at Anon nim and you can conveniently browse all at-anon content via their profile. We might change the name of that account, but the functionality will remain the same. One nice side effect of implementing the above is that if you're logged in, you no longer need to fund your account before performing costly actions. For example, you can make a large zap or add significant boosts without carrying any custodial balance whatsoever. Another nice side effect is this lays the groundwork for other forms of non-custodial spending that are Bolt 11-based like NWC, WebLM, LNC, and Commando. Subs in the drop-down in dark mode or being hidden on certain browsers has been fixed. Yes, I I was having that problem myself. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it was annoying. They have apparently fixed it. But the real thing here is that now, if you don't want to log in to Stacker News, you don't have to, and you can zap my post when I post the uh, links to this show every day that I make this show. Uh, what do we got? Uh, oh god let's not do that one first ledger let's let's do let's do this one ledger is not going to go away and i know lots of people still like ledger hey more power to you i use something else <coughs> but they just keep kind of in my opinion this is this isn't kind of a good look but it's going to happen. And for some people, it's probably going to be a godsend, but decrypt Matthias Mechler or Mattis Mechler has it. Ledger adds PayPal as an on-ramp for Bitcoin and other shitcoin purchases. Hardware crypto wallet provider. Ledger is launching a new on-ramp solution with PayPal. Owners of a ledger wallet can now use their PayPal account to acquire cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And I won't list the other ones. Those acquisitions will be instantly transferred to their Ledger wallets, eliminating intermediary steps. For users who've transacted cryptocurrency using PayPal before, purchases in Ledger Live require no additional verification. It's designed with both the crypto novice and the expert in mind. Rather than using non-secure browser wallets or holding their funds on exchanges, users can combine the ease of use that they want with the security that they need, a Ledger spokesperson said. Ledger users previously had options such as MoonPay, Wire, or Cornify, Cornify, Coinify for on-ramp solutions. However, incorporating a significant player like PayPal marks a noteworthy milestone for the French firm. In a statement, Pascal Gauthier, or however you pronounce it, <clears throat> chairman and CEO of Ledger, highlighted Ledger's dedication to demystifying the crypto landscape. "Quote: Both PayPal and Ledger prioritize delivering secure, efficient, and rapid." Transactions globally with over two decades leading with over two decades leading the digital payment evolution. PayPal's expertise complements our own mission in this new era of asset advancement through our integration. Whether you're new to crypto and want a trusted provider to enter the space, or you've already you're already in the space and want an easy way to buy crypto and and immediately secure it in your ledger, this will be a great feature for you. Ledger has tested that additional features. God dang it, I'm having some problems here today. All of a sudden, I can't see. Ledger has teased that additional features arising from this collaboration with PayPal are on the horizon, set to be disclosed in the coming months. Facing competition from emerging powerhouses like Block, established by ex-Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, as well as new financial ventures by Apple and Google, PayPal appears to be ramping up its pace in the crypto arena. Recently, they even unveiled the PayPal stable coin deployed on, and I won't name it, but okay. So ledger, you can now ledger users can now buy their shit coinery directly through legacy Fiat PayPal. Yay. For some people, it's actually going to make a lot of sense. It doesn't make any sense for me. I don't need it. I just, I'll use river or I'll use Swan or I'll use, um, uh, God, what else, what else do I use? Strike or I'll use uh, Square or whatever, whatever they call it now. Uh, I think it's, it's a Square. Yeah, I think it's Square. Um, from Also from Jack Dorsey. You know, it I, doesn't make me one-witted difference there. I mean, it's all KYC anyway, which is bad, but I don't I don't know, man. I'm just like, I got, you know, most, most of the Bitcoin I hold actually came from, you know, places that this, well before any time that, kyC was even an issue, and I got out before shotgun kyc became a thing so from that standpoint, I'm not all that worried if they want to know what I'm buying now, okay, fine, I guess I've got some stuff that nobody knows about, and that's fine i guess i'm i'm not i don't know if it's a really good idea to hyperventilate about kyc right now until we figure out what's going to happen in the future. It's better to get non kyc i well, I swear, I swear on my mom's grave that that is the truth. But hyperventilating about it, I, I don't think is actually the the best scenario. In either event, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, Dad Says Jokes on this hump day. Picked up a hitchhiker last night. He asked me, how do you know I'm not a serial killer? I replied. The chances of two serial killers in one car is astronomical. Yeah, yeah I imagine it would be. All right, don't forget uh, that Telegram group. The uh, invite code is in the uh, show notes. If you got questions about anything, you want, I mean, on the the, the whole thing is just because I started it up. I, I'm not that good of a telegram user kind of using this to because so many people still like telegram there's a lot of people that are not on nostr i'm missing a lot of my friends from twitter and this is one way that i can get back to those people without having to get back on twitter because i just it's so hard for me to i mean i could do it i could go get a bullshit sim card i guess but i don't i just don't want to do it all over again and it's just such it's so different now than it used to be. So I'm, I'm going over to Telegram for a little while. Bring questions about stuff. And if I don't know, maybe some. if we have enough people in that group, maybe somebody else will. You'll never know what develops in a community until a community is actually built. So help me build it and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.